You're listening to the Art of Move podcast, hosted by Dr. William Raybar and Anthony Manuel, where we attempt to create a grand unified theory of human movement, biomechanics, and training. If you enjoy these episodes, you can watch them streamed live on nofilter.net, where you can interact directly and have all your questions answered in real time. Five, four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Art of Move podcast. We are on everyone's favorite number, episode 69, 69. with myself, Anthony Manuel, my good friend, Dr. William Raybar. We're still out here in the Canadian Rockies trying to find the grand unified theory of human movement and biomechanics. Really, really stoked to have another solo episode with Will. It's been far too long. And today we're kind of kicking off a series on a particular theme that we want to start exploring. And that is almost a philosophical inquiry to how we discover information as it pertains to movement and just as it pertains to information in general. We're going to investigate the scientific method. We're going to investigate uh, anecdote on a further level. This is basically almost a series expansion on our episode 14 that we did a while ago, but in a much more in-depth context in in more specific context to movement as it pertains to the entire field, not just our particular niche fields of just biomechanics. And Will, that's sort of my summary and understanding. If you want to give people kind of a baseline of some of the research you've been doing and some of the ideas that you've been playing with and kind of outline where some of the discussion is going to go, I think that'd be a good place to start today. Well, there's there's so much to this, right? And uh, at first it was just kind of, I've noticed that people were coming at this uh, niche, right? Like the alternative biomechanics niche where, you know, we're trying to figure things out by actually moving and, you know, uh, talking to each other and having discussions, right? Um, and especially on this show, we're trying to bring everyone together and see where the good ideas and not so good ideas are. Uh, take what's useful, disregard the rest, right? But now I think we're kind of butting heads with who I know now to be the research-based, um, I mean, there's chiropractors, physios, uh, sports med doctors in there. And it's basically research based versus, uh, you know, movement based, like what we do, right? So in the world of research based, this is your clinicians, again, chiros, doctors, physios, that's where they lay, but not all of them lay there, right? There's mm-hmm. only a certain subset that are really research based. And what that means is they've agreed to make the research, like the scientific research, a peer review study to be what the truth is. Okay. So, um, in order to have a discussion with them, you have to have that premise. And if you don't have that premise, then you're not in the discussion. Right. So, uh, and of course our field or our niche here, right. Because my field is actually chiropractic. Right. And I come from a research-based, uh, thought process. That's what's funny about the whole thing, but I digress back to this. Um, it's almost no research base and research being, you know, official research. It's, you know, people figuring things out, observing, talking, doing is a big one, right? Actually doing the movements. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so it really comes down to different thought process. What is evidence? What it? What is evidence to you? What is truth to you? Who holds the authority to the public? Um, what is truth? Who should the public trust? when they talk to somebody, these are all different questions that uh, come within this paradigm, but there's different aspects of it too. Again, there's the public, how the public looks at science or how it looks at the field of movement and biomechanics and pain and, and all that. And then there's the clinician end of it. Again, chiros physios, medical doctors, osteopaths, naturopaths, whatever. Right. And, 
uh, how they look at things, how they're seeing the public and how they're seeing the conversations. And then there's the, you know, more of the personal trainer aspect of it, which is who we've dealt with this whole time, right? Mm -hmm. This is pretty much uncredentialed in terms of, uh, you know, medical authority. They don't have doctor behind their name. They don't have any, you know, they're not physios. It's just somebody who did a certification and has come upon information. Now, when you look at it from a research-based lens, you're like, I'm going to throw that out, right? So um, you can't enter the conversation because you never started coming into the conversation, right? Because the conversation is the research-based uh, paradigm, okay? So I'm here to challenge that research-based paradigm that that's not the only thing in the world, okay? It is a valuable aspect of it. And again, we have to like separate what that is. And that's what this show is going to be about. Yeah. It's really, really, really getting granular. Because this is, this is, I just want to pause and, and say that we're not trying to create a false dichotomy between people who read research and people who don't read research. We're talking about the idea of research-based and, and evidence-based as a particular mindset and uh, making yourself closed off to further inquiry from other sources of information where Will and I, I mean, you subscribe to a research review. I don't subscribe to a research review, but I'm regularly reading research about topics that interest me and that pertain to questions that I have about movement, biomechanics, fitness, et cetera. Um, but rather than just say, well, this study said this and therefore it's the truth, I kind of look at it as part of one of the the overall arching narrative that ties in with other factors like my experience, like the experience of others, like the results that people get, like the, you know, um, the bizarre circumstances that you run into as a personal trainer. While I'm not a personal trainer, I ask trainers who are, you know, experiencing, hey, if you have a client with this, what what if thing what are things that have worked? What are things that haven't? And in looking at it as a part of the overall dynamic truth, right? Because the truth is not a static thing necessarily. Even within science, you know, you see a lot of evidence-based um, physios, clinicians, et cetera, who are debating amongst each other interpreting what the studies are suggesting and interpreting what the studies are saying. And so we're not creating a dichotomy between people who read research and inform their practice by, on research and people who don't read research and say research is dumb. We're just saying that the, the, uh, the mentality of being evidence-based and discarding other forms of information, it's basically, I think we, we use the term scientism at one point, which is the idea that the only valid information that you can gain about reality is through the natural sciences, which whilst the scientific method is an extremely reliable way to, to sort out information, it's always hyper contextual. And whether when we're studying something that has as many variables as the human body and dynamic movement, the, the scientific method is you, you brought this up in a conversation that we had earlier is very good at narrowing variables down and testing narrow variables for specific things. And so we're, we're, we're going to talk about the philosophy of scientific inquiry a little bit more. And I just wanted to point that out is that we still read science and we're not trying to at any point invalidate the utility of the scientific method of research of any of these things, but we have to kind of look at it for the reality of what it is, which is a part of the puzzle, not the objective truth and the first principle of truth. Well, I, I wouldn't invalidate the scientific method. The scientific method is beautiful. I would invalidate <laughs> uh, studies, research studies that are only looking at variables that don't actually find anything. These aren't the variables right. we need. The methods are wrong, okay? Like you're not testing the things that you should be testing. This is what I'm seeing all over the place. And it is worse than I thought now that I'm looking into it, right? So 
um, I haven't really been looking at papers very specifically. I'm going to tell you my story a little bit, right? I haven't been looking at papers very specifically because I did for so long and it didn't bring any fruit because there's someone agreeing here, someone disagreeing here. Uh, you enter one camp of thought and let's just say right now it's that uh, biomechanics doesn't matter when you're lifting, okay? Uh, that you can flex your spine, it's fine, right? And then you're going to find another set of guys that are like, no, 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 no. You can't flex your spine while you lift. Um, and then there's guys that are like, oh, there's nuance. These are all research-based guys. And they're saying the exact opposite things are very, very different um, ways of looking at the research or they're picking the research that they want. That happens quite a bit as well, right? So um, the area that we're in or the niche that we're in, the biomechanics, you know, the, the WEC methods, GOTAs, functional patterns, ATG, like all those uh practices that aren't evidence-based in that mainstream scientific based evidence is informing what they do. That's not how that operates, right? Mm -hmm. It may mm -hmm. be working on scientific principles. Okay. So like a functional patterns, when now that I look at it back, you know, the Naudi episode, and yeah. I take a look at that and I go back to my evidence-based mind they would look at that and just scratch their heads at every point because almost everything he said about, you know, 10,000 things that can't be verified by science, but it also can't be falsified. And when they do try to falsify it, it's going to come up short, right? So what is actual evidence base? What is going on here? What is the nuance of it? And that's what we're going to come into, right? So um, there's never even been a consensus of whether we should prove or disprove a hypothesis, you know, like it's, it's literally at that point and evidence-based science is very new. People think it has been there forever. We're talking, some people say the seventies, some people say 1990s is when mm. it started. Nobody told me that when I was in school, they're just like, this is how it's done. And you're like, okay, that's how it's done. So basically when you're in school, I'm in, you know, second, third year, everyone's starting to really research, really use evidence. And you have clinicians ahead of you who are, you know, they seem like they know everything. Okay. You're just like, this guy can pull any paper out of his head and he knows the date. He knows who did it. He knows the paper that attaches to that paper and the context of it. And you're like, this guy's a genius, right? So that would be someone like a, a no bullshit physio or you know, like an Adam Meekins or a Greg Lehman is a great example. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, these guys know papers like the back of their hand. Okay. It's mesmerizing and stuff like that. But a lot of the papers that they pull are opinion. And uh, in order to disprove, basically, they're not disproving anything with them. Okay. And, and they're arguing amongst each other in a major way, not, not the ones I mentioned, but the camps are arguing amongst each other in a major way as to how are you drawing conclusions that what the biomechanics, the alternative biomechanics field is doing is incorrect and you can disprove it when you can't even come to a consensus yourself. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and the methods are terrible when I start looking at them too. Well, so, and, and the, yeah, that, that we'll, that's we'll the thing, right? Where, where I think the issue is, especially if you have a systematic review, you have to go in and you have to look at the method section of all the, the studies that actually met the criteria of a systematic review. If you're going to look at it, to, to prove or disprove a certain hypothesis, right? And that this is something that we did with uh, with specific papers that were trying to disprove aspects of functional fitness, uh, whether it was GOTA, whether it was functional patterns. You and I spent a good couple of hours just like together looking at the research that was cited by different 
uh, influencers who are saying functional fitness is bullshit because here's this paper, here's this systematic review. Um, uh, here's this prospective study. Here's this da, 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 da. And we actually look at it and it's like, okay, well, the issue here is because they're so wrapped up. I think this is my own per perception because they're so wrapped up in a, the, the, the surface level marketing of what these functional fitness systems are saying superficially, right? Superficially. And they're not actually looking at the nuances of what the functional fitness systems are suggesting that you do. They're not looking at the actual solutions and the methods of the functional fitness systems. They don't, they aren't looking at studies that would test the variables that are relevant to disprove the hypothesis of why you would do a functional fitness thing, for example. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly it. Right. Like, um, basically they haven't really looked at it at all because why would you look at it? It's outside the science it's it woo woo land, right? Like you need to be research based in order to like the research based evidence is the best evidence period in that world. Okay. And they're like, you're crazy if you think otherwise. Right. So to, to have a conversation there, you have to come with evidence. And if you don't have the latest paper mes like memorized, why are you even in this conversation? Right? So it's a different world and different paradigm. That's the whole thing. Speaking a different language, movement, and, and a lot of it is mechanics. Like when, when I actually go into practice, because I, I, the funny thing is I consider myself research based, right? Like I mm. have, I read more research probably than most clinicians. Okay. Most clinicians don't read a lot of research because it's hard and it takes a lot of time and you have to know where to go. So, uh, by the way, I recommend research review service, uh, Dr. Sean Thistle, amazing stuff. Okay. So that gives me like a, a cheat sheet towards what's at least what the field is. Okay. What the, the whole aspect of the research is saying. Okay. And again, there's hundreds of thousands of papers, so you can just pull what you want. Okay. That's what a lot of people are doing. And, uh, like Joel Seedman, 90 degree training. You got a paper there. You want full range training. You got a paper there Two diametrically opposed ideas, but you can pull research and justify either one of them. Right. Yeah. So, um, Basically, in order to be in the conversation, you have to be in that field. So they look at functional fitness a lot like they would look at uh, pelvic floor papers. Okay, I've, I've actually heard uh, someone say from this no bullshit physio, actually, that, you know, I don't look at uh, pelvic floor papers because, you know, there's too much woo woo junk in there. Right. Uh, and, and you like I can see I can see the argument here. Right. Because there is a lot of bad research out there. That is mm -hmm. true. And. The more I've actually researched these uh, research-based, uh, I, I would say they're newer breed of research-based guys. I see them as rebelling against bad science. They're looking at themselves yeah. like they're cleaning up bad science, and and somewhat they are. You know what I mean? And, and I like it. A lot of the stuff that I'm like, actually, I agree with that. Oh, that's pretty good. You know, like because <laughs> here's the thing: when I was in school. I would be criticized for taking too long with patients. Okay. Mm. And, uh, and I actually had someone pull me aside and said, you you'd never be able to do this in private practice, or you will never be able to do this. And I, I'm just like, okay, watch me. Right. And that's what I did. I moved to a small town and I spend 45 minutes to an hour with each patient. I have a communication with them. I try to, you know, treat this person like a holistic human being, even though, you know, people come to me with injuries. I'm like, what are the factors in their life? What do they do on a regular basis? One of the questions I asked is, or I always ask is, what did you do repetitively growing up? Maybe there's something there. Maybe like, what do you do now? What are your interests? It's like, 
you try to get into the into the mind frame of just being a human interacting and that brings you a lot of fruit in itself that and asking the right questions right so mm -hmm. in that sense i do actually operate a lot like these research-based guys want you to operate like but with a, a major difference is that i went away from the research as the ultimate truth and i just look at it like another system i'm like oh what's the research saying you know and, and instead of being like that's the only thing you must not touch anything but the research it's like guys you're being a little bit too dogmatic on this you're treating it like a religion uh like maybe go outside your system and see what's there and that's what that's what we're trying to do i'm i'm we're literally trying to take everyone that we don't agree with necessarily bring them on it's like what do you got to say yeah okay, so I mean, what is wrong with doing that? I, I, I personally don't think there is anything wrong with, with getting multiple perspectives, but I want to rewind for a second and touch on that religious element because I often hear, you know, people are like, oh, you're saying that I'm, you know, you're equating science to religion, but it's nothing like religion. When you say they're treating it like religion, what are the qualities uh, or the mindsets or the philosophies that make science become religious like how do you have to behave in order for something to be religious well you don't let any other info in you'll only look at a certain subset of info which would be awesome if it was great info but when they start arguing amongst each other and saying oh we don't actually know it's like mm, the info is not that good so i have to go outside the info and i and if i would frame it like that everyone would be like yeah i do that too it's like mm, i don't think you do you know what i mean like i don't think you go outside the systems if you're spending five hours a day pulling papers, like I heard a no bullshit physio said he does, mm -hmm. you're probably not going outside the system and you're treating it a little bit too religiously. And I did that as well in terms of the thought process is this, you know what? You take the consensus of the science. These are the most brilliant minds in the world. You look at that first. And if that doesn't say something, if that doesn't work or um, which it always does if you're research-based, right? There's always something that you, you find that you can use. Then, uh, then I go outside the system until then the research is number one and everything else is down here. Okay. Where now I look at it, like, what's the research saying? Oh, these guys are saying this. That's great. That's a, a you know, whatever topic it is. Some topics there is amazing research on and some topics there's not any research on. Right. So I can't just be like, I'm going to only use research, the uh, RCT, randomized control trials. And there is a hierarchy when you actually look at the research as well, right? Mm -hmm. Randomized control trials, double blind placebo controlled is up top, which I'm going to argue shouldn't even be up top. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know it sounds crazy. Okay. But uh, I'm going to make the argument there over a series of shows like this. Okay. And then, you know, it goes, prospective studies, retrospective studies, where you're looking at groups over a period of time. So long-term uh, studies, cohort studies, where you're taking certain sections of, of uh, groups and you're following over time. And then there's, you know, case studies that those are the lowest. That's, you know, something that happened in, in a clinic or, you know, a personal training encounter that's documented and, you know, studied. Doing a, a study like that, you probably won't get in a good journal. That's the whole thing, right? And then that brings up another aspect of it. It's like the journals, the publications, how do you even get the research into a good publication in the first place? Right. Mm. That's it's like the research, the peer review, a bunch of peers reviewing your work is supposed to be the, the gold standard there. 
And it, like the advantage is that you have a bunch of people that are really smart looking at your work to make sure it's nothing's wrong with it. Okay. They also choose what work comes in. Okay. So the, the disadvantage is it's gatekept, right? So yeah. there could be information that doesn't get in there because it doesn't fit a paradigm. And if it, and my assertion is that there's a new paradigm coming, whether you like it or not. Okay. So, um, People are going outside the research, whether you like it or not. People are sharing information outside the research, whether you like it or not. Now, the question is, who owns the authority over the public? And is the question public policy or is it because there's a whole public policy end that I don't really want to touch. This is like, right. I work in government and what is the best policy for all the people? I'm not really that interested in that. You know, the way I look at it is I have a small clinic. I look at it like an art. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's the art of move. It's the art of touch. It's, it's all that stuff. And, and a research-based guy would scratch his head and pull his hair out going art. There's no art in this. What you do is you take the best research and you do that. And it's like, no, I have a human being in front of me. He's not like, even though seven out of 10 people might get this ailment. So let's say treatment a seven out of 10 people will get better. I've already diagnosed it. Treatment a is what I need. And the research said seven out of 10 will get better. I still have that person in front of me. I got to figure out if they're the seven out of 10 or the three out of 10, mm. right? Like, mm -hmm. I don't know which one they are, even though I don't operate like that. It's just human to human interaction. Um, I, I don't do like, here's the thing. A lot of time they're trying to clean up science again. Right. And that includes cleaning up uh, you know, Cairo physio, it's, it's a lot of physios, right? So they're trying to clean up their field. You're a bad physio. If you're, you know, doing things from 20 years ago that have no scientific rigor behind them. Okay. And I can see that because there is a lot of that going on in a lot, in a lot of therapy. Right. So an example with that would be, you know, uh, some putting someone on a treatment plan for like a year straight. And it's like, you need to come in four times a week for a year. Or you're, you know, C5 is going to go out. Right. And, and this happens. Okay. And I see it all the time. People come into me and say stuff like this. And I'm like, Whoa, that is wild stuff that the, <laughs> you know, the last therapist was telling them. Right. Mm -hmm. so, um, and, and like, this is daily. Okay. So this is a major issue that is out there and it needs to be cleaned up. So great. These guys are doing that. That's awesome. Right. But it's still, you're still butting heads with this biomechanics stuff because get this biomechanics to them means the biomechanics that's published, which is not even what like this field is this field is antithetical to the biomechanics that is in yeah when, when you say um, yeah. when you say this field you kind of mean alternative functional fitness and, and people who are looking at gate mechanics from an observational yeah. perspective not from like you said uh you know levers and uh what go would call cadaver science right not to and again not to make a false dichotomy here um but you know the mainstream biomechanic research versus that, that might look at things a little bit more in a linear fashion versus some of the rotational elements. I, I mean, I'll, I'll even use the example of, uh, you know, David Weck, who has been fighting with, uh, you know, SMU and Landsbrook's uh, locomotion for ages about his head over foot thing, where, you know, the brace the core model and a stable neutral head as you're running is, um, you know, is dynamically happening versus the head over foot model. Like he's been arguing with him about that for a long time. And it's like, 
can you just acknowledge head over foot? Like it's right here in front of you. He's even, you know, David even went to the SMU website and pulled up this video footage of their 3D gate analysis model. And it's literally showing head over foot. And he's like, how are they not looking at this? How are they still saying it's brace the core and, and spine neutral when they literally have a, a, you know, their 3D analysis model and the actual data from their studies is showing the opposite? Because um, that's what the research says. And that's what, like, it doesn't necessarily even have to be the research. I think in this case, it's like a wives' tale of, mm. uh, in science so because that happens too, right? You just, you don't know where the first principles came from. You don't know where the first idea came from. And then you just build upon it. Um, this happens all the time in science, right? Like, I, again, in science classes in university, I never once heard anybody uh, objectify to a theory, a base theory. You just accept theories and you have to because it's like you have to do work upon those theories. That's what, you know, science is. You can't question everything or not everyone can question everything. Some people are cut out for it. Some people aren't, right? I'm, to me, I've always been skeptical and now I'm skeptical of the skeptics, okay? Mm -hmm. So it's like, the skeptics, the skeptical guys in science are the people cleaning up the science in their own mind. This is Greg Lehman, Adam Meekins, uh, you know, Aaron Kubal, the, uh, I don't know, he's on TikTok. He's always like, this uh, physiotherapist or chiropractor said this, it's ridiculous, right? And then he was like, study said this instead, right? Um, a lot of his stuff is good, again, but a lot of it is pretty bad. Right? It, lacks, and it lacks nuanced thinking. It right? lacks like nuance is really what it is. And then I go on to uh, listen to his podcast. I'm like, maybe I'm missing something. And again, it's a lot of good stuff. A lot of stuff that I've identified in my own world. I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, this guy nailed it. Right. But then sometimes they just go way off in, into some, you know, theory that is itself unscientific. We'll get into, into these as we go. I just wanted to give more of a 30,000 foot view because there's so much to it. And I kind of uncovered a world here that I didn't know about. Yeah, this is, um, this is, an, this is an overview episode. And we're, that's why we're, we're announcing a series and kind of giving like a, a big, broad perspective. Yeah. So a guy like Aaron Cabal, I'm like, uh, I wonder how long he's been in practice. He was literally, he's only been in telehealth practice for a year. He has no experience. And he's just like cutting everything up. It's like, hmm. You're cutting up probably 80% of what needs to be cut up and 20% is not so good, right? So, I mean, that's pretty good stat. So can't, can't fault him for that. And a lot of people have good information now. So I see a lot of people in the research-based world being about 20 or sorry. Uh, yeah, like 28, 29 to like 33, 34. Okay. So they're in a younger, well, I'm 39, right? So mm -hmm. They're in like a younger demographic where I think the internet really hit hard back then. And, uh, you know, they're learning something in class and then they can debunk it like in within seconds, you know, right. It, right. So it, it's just like, why are you still teaching me this? And a lot of them have complaints from, you know, university. It's just like, and again, I've heard podcasts where they're like, yeah, um, what I learned in university was pretty much all wrong. Right. And uh, I had the same experience, right? There's a lot of info that was incorrect. And I guess that's just to be expected because science has to, you know, evolve it is basically the, the excuse, right? Science evolves. And uh, that's why we had it wrong before. But there's also delay. It's like to get new info takes a long, long time. To get rid of old info that's incorrect also takes a long, long time because everybody has to agree. This is why your Lance like a guy like Lance Brooks, um, you know, the guy that uh, fights with David Wacker, 
you mm-hmm. know, the head over foot guy anyway. David Weck says head over foot. Lance Brooks says, no, 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 spine straight. Um, he can't change it if he wanted to. Because yeah. the consensus now is that the spine is straight. And it's weird because now, like, you know, I'm running with this beautiful head over foot. I'm uh, doing all these uh, complicated maneuvers. You watch slow-mo. You see head over foot all the time and the best athletes. Even, like, you know, people walking down the street. The spine straight thing is just weird, okay? Now, I see guys like Peter O'Sullivan, a physiotherapist. He's, like, finally talking about not bracing the core. And he had a paper that he sat on for two years because he didn't want to come out. He, he called it coming out, right? Mm-hmm. And then he had all the support from these, these physios who were like, thank you for that. You're brave. I'm like, that's brave. I'm like, wow. <laughs> like <laughs> what, what are we coming to right now? We're Hey guys, like you can relax your core because you know, when you hurt your, whatever part you hurt, like if it's a knee, your muscles around your knee are going to cramp up to help you out. So you're basically cramping up your core to stop you from your nice movement. Relax, go have a walk, let yourself go head over foot and have a nice sway. Okay. Peter O'Sullivan did it. I'm doing it. David Weck's doing it. Lance Brooks, you do it too. Yeah. Well, actually David Weck is knocking right now. Should we let him in? Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna put him in here and see if we, uh, I think I just, added him to the conversation here, but yeah, that, that, that's basically it. It's, it, it really sounds like, um, what happened? Did I kick him out by accident? I, oh, no, there he is. He's signing in, but this is, uh, when, when you say he, he couldn't like, th- this is this idea of like, you're, you're, you have to come out and, and challenge the mainstream narrative as someone who is, um, you hear me? yeah, I can hear you now. You're just signing in. You just took a second to load there. Okay. What's we were going talking. On, David? We were just. We were just network talking about you. Connection. A network connection error. <laughs> oh, you're just. I'm a little less tech savvy. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Can you hear us? Okay. Yeah, I I just was tuned in. I heard like the last three minutes about a physio who figured this out two years ago. And then was so apprehensive to tell the community, the his colleagues, his peers who review him and ostracize him. God forbid he just, you know, stray from the narrative, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what happens, right? Like, um, you you have to have some sort of consensus, right? So it's, it's very hard when you're working in a group. It's like, if you see something obvious, you're like, hey, guys, uh, the head's going like this. You know what I mean? The body's swaying and there's nice fluidity and movement. It's like, no, no, no. We've had this theory for a long time. And I've heard over and over and over again. And I, I should have challenged this at the time. Uh, Greg Akefsky has been debunked. Spinal engine has been debunked. It's like, hmm, where has that been shown? Well, love, you know who else? Yeah, you know who else said that? Is do- Dr. Stuart McGill, basically in his interview with Brett Contreras, you know, he knew Grakovetsky and they were buddies, you know, they'd go have a beer kind of a thing. But the way that he sort of just chuckled it off as if to say, ha, 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 you know, back in those days, you know, you know, he entertained something, but he certainly isn't correct. And it's, uh, I think you guys talking about this is sort of the, you know, it's, it's the crack in the dam that 
basically it can't be plugged now because we're in the internet. It's the information age. And then once enough critical mass happens where it's like, wait a minute, the king ain't wearing robes. It's like, whoa. And then we can see it. And now we have 3D motion capture from SMU, Locomotor Performance Institute Laboratory. I mean, that's the number one place in the world as far as they're citing their science from. And what I view in the, because you know that I take this stuff very personally. You guys know that is better than anyone, right? And yeah. I think we're all, like, we're all scientists in our own right. And we have different methods of how we go about our scientific process. And you can't just be behind the camera and you can't just be in front of the camera. And the problem is so many of the experts today are just behind the camera. They've never been in front of the camera. They aren't exploring every single day how to get faster, how to get more fluid, how to, how to beat up a guy who's bigger than you. So this, I mean, this you is really, this is really, real... yeah, this is, this is really important because what you're talking about is a, a democratization of the truth. And it's yes. saying what, like what, because because when you were talking about research based, like it was it was pretty common, and it still is very common. It's still a very common mindset that the authority is the science. The science is the best information that we have. And we were talking about the limitations of how science can look at certain variables. Uh, being research based and research informed is actually a very good thing. It's a part of the, the the equation, but you still have to think for yourself. And not being able to outsource your your own critical judgment, you know, we were talking about how certain people are still, you know, they're still in the research based world. And they're still kind of, you know, sticking their nose up at, at functional fitness and biomechanic systems. But they're, they're also trying to have more integrity and in looking at, well, this is bad science. This is bias. This is looking at the wrong thing. But when, when you're, when you're talking about, it's like, well, it's, it, you can't stop this momentum of people sharing the information that they're going to share, right? Whether or not it's, research-based information, you have people like yourself, like Will, like myself, who are on the ground researching and exper uh, experimenting their own experience. And oftentimes, even personal experience is looked at as a, as a negative factor when you're trying to find truth because it's like, well, data from scientific studies is more reliable than personal experience. To a degree, you do have to be aware of the limitations of your own personal experience. But you also have to realize that Personal experience is a really good launching point to ask questions that might diverge from the mainstream narrative of science as a whole. It's the only way. Feeling is knowing. Yeah, you, 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 I could not know what I know had I not experienced it physically. And it was the physical experience of going to Corfis May 1st through 2010. It was that experience of feeling it. And you both know it. It's oh, yeah. true. You have a skeletal circuit. You create instantly a different pressure length tension relationship within the body, tensegrity, and the hands, it, how could they not matter so much, right? They're the thing that's dealing with the object that you're playing with. They're the thing that's, you know, and when they're empty and they're free, you can figure out ways in which that it's just follow the figure eight and have continuity with the spiral. And now you don't have to stop. You don't got to stop. It's fluid, right? And the, the science on this is we, the artists, right? The ones in the arena, right? Fighting it out to find it. We're the ones who 
bring to the scientists what to study. Mm-hmm. It's not their decision of, oh, well, we're going to study this. No, you have your own confirmation bias. Both parties have to participate together. Because if you're thinking of your own research, well, you're just trying to prove your point nine times out of ten. Am I wrong? No, I'm not. You see what That's I mean? A, it's a very interesting point. And mm-hmm. something you said uh, a couple minutes ago about science and uh, and methods. It's basically right now what what's happening is if you're research-based, you start at looking at the pool of research, the watered-down pool of research, I mind you. That's where your starting point is, okay? And you have to theorize from there. So you're only looking at a certain subset a very small, minute, a detail of movement and research. And then you're devising your experiments from there. Well, you forgot the movement part. You forgot the doing part of it. Right. And, and it's literally, everyone thinks that that's what you do in the, in the research world, go to the research first and then devise your experiments from there. That's why you're not devising good experiments, guys. It's like, that's why the methods are all off. And, and like when we actually dive into some of this research, the methods are very like a lot of these are just terrible. Right? Well, so- and, and, and also as someone who conducted some studies in the early days with the BOSU ball, because it's what you do to you know, prove your product and market it basically. Mm-hmm. And so we worked with San Diego State University. And we devised sort of metrics and tests. We worked with Sharp, uh, you know, the Sharp Institute of Health. And, you know, in their critical balance unit, and we devised sort of measurables and standards. And, you know, we didn't peer, you know, I, I basically volunteered it. And so I was funding it with my time and effort and collaboration because the professor at the university and the clinician at the, you know, the, I guess it was a balance center where people who had severe impairment would go. And we were collaborating to get deeper in terms of how can we help people to a greater extent, right? So like, that's the motivating factor for what we're doing. Now, insight was gleaned. I didn't do a good job in terms of, you know, peer reviewing and marketing the research, but I can tell you that some of these studies, we have to find 16 participants. Okay. Like who has time and who has the inclination to participate in the study in the first place, right? The good athlete is playing soccer right now, so they're not available, right? And how much time was devoted to the skill acquisition of the task at hand that you're studying? Hmm. 16 participants. We, we did six weeks where, you know, eight of them did this and eight of them did that. And like, like you're saying, Anthony, that can be a good departure point, right? But it certainly is not going to tell you the whole picture and what is maddening to the creatives like myself who pride themselves on their integrity and their can do capacity, right? I'm a movement coach who can move. Right? And so I can teach you all the nuance, right? I'm not, I didn't learn what to teach you sitting down in a chair watching a PowerPoint. Like that's not what I'm doing, <laughs> but what I'm doing has to re- be reduced down to the PowerPoint. One slide head over foot. I mean, if we as a fit, think about what the potential is right now, because this is the positive peer pressure that I was alluding to months ago. Okay. Because this is the one where now it's going to get to the point where it's, it's going to be like, boom, boom, boom. It's going to be like popcorn. There's not going to be too many pops and it's going to be little flutters of pops, but then it's going to be pop, 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 pop. And then if you hold, hold slow, 
to your braced core, neutral spine, you're going to start equivocating by saying, well, well, I never actually said, okay, mm -hmm. whatever, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we can go back and we can cite where you did say what you were saying. Yeah. And this core stability, right, you know, anti-rotation, that became the thing, just like instability training became the thing. So things become the thing. <laughs> and and then they, you know, they sort of, the pendulum will swing. Yeah. And, and I, there's I, a... I, I want I want to bring yeah I want to, I want to bring up a point when you were t talking about devising your study where it was like okay I got I got to get 16 participants but you aren't considering these factors like how like you said how much time did they devote to practicing their craft how physically competent are they beforehand um you know even when there's like a, a study that has like a pretty large sample size like like studies look at individual variables typically and they, and they look at they, they like the issue is, and the reason that it ends up being more of an art than a science with movement practitioners in general, like you do have to have a, a, a basis of understanding of, of, you know, your, your anatomy and you have to understand like that, that having that baseline is really, really good. But at some point you kind of have to be able to like, there's a, I'm a musician, right? And there's this, there's this saying in, in music that uh, a jazz musician, I think it was Charlie Parker said that you should learn as much theory as you can and practice as much as you can and then let all of that go and just play right and so when you're thinking about movement like if you're thinking about the variables that you read in a study it's going to jack up your movement because you're going to be moving robotically because you're thinking robotically about something that has so many variables that are supposed to happen subconsciously that are happening even beyond the level of comprehension like the fact of the matter is we know so little about the human body we do we don't know a whole whack about the human body and when you're looking at something as multivariable as human movement and biomechanics where people aren't even recognizing fascial biotensegrity for example people are saying that fascia doesn't even have a role in in, in force production it's like people are, are you, saying that oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. That's and up. they have to say it. They have to say it because it's not accounted for, for in the biomechanics. Oh, okay, I see. Got you it. You know what I mean? It. Like, okay. no, but yeah, that's yeah. but that's huge though because. Oh no! I mean, it, it, listen. This is to the point where I was when I got your text, Anthony, just now saying, "Hey, we're live," so that I could tune in and, and knock on the door, right? I, I'm, I'm thinking. Hold, hold on, just one second. Yeah. Uh, can you just carry on the conversation? Yeah, of course. Just, just yeah. super quick. Uh, super Anthony, quick. I wanted to say something here. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so how would you, okay, so if I wanted to know how to move really well, okay, and I, I wanted to look, like get smooth movement, and I, I see David Weck, he's he's in his 50s, right? Or yeah. you're around 50, right? So 52, and I watch, 52. 52, and he moves amazingly, okay? And I, mm -hmm. and I watch most 50-year-olds are not moving very well at all and sore all the time and, and they go for a run and it'll be a disaster. Okay. So what is David Weck doing differently? How would you engineer a study here? What a current research-based person would do is look at the uh, totality of the research that is currently there, uh, have participants in a control group and a, uh, you know, in a, a group that is studying whatever they're studying. Okay. And then you find a variable there and then you take that and that's your variable. Or what would I do? I'd, I'd what, what would you do? I'd watch David move and I'd reverse engineer how he'd move. And, and that is the difference, right? Like where would you start with the study? They almost always have to start with 
the current research. Mm. Well, you know, you, flawed, it, you're it, you're in trouble. Well, well, just real quick before that little interruption. So when you sure. texted me, I was thinking Feldenkrais. It just came in my mind. It's like I draw so much influence from Feldenkrais. Okay, Feldenkrais is that minimalistic. Get to the least amount of tension possible so that you can discern the little micro gradations of force. And that sensitivity is your education because feeling is knowing. The reason why the person who goes to the golf coach can't do it is because they can't internalize and make use of the cue. And this now when you were talking, Will, just now about the research and the limitations of it, here's what I would do if I wanted to study the way David Weck moves. Here's what I would do. Get one batch of people here and make them jump rope or do whatever the hell they want with the rope. I don't even care. And then have one group roll the rope, okay, with with repetition. So, I mean, you're going to do a 1,000 reps a day, which is not actually that much. And you may just fall in love with it and you do 10,000 a day. So that's what I would do to do a study. And then I would test any life task. I don't care if it's mathematics or anything. Your ability to pick up juggling or whatever and do twins, find 40 sets of twins. One twin does, you know, whatever the hell they want with the rope. Okay. I don't care. And then one of them learns all four patterns and it just becomes muscle memory. Now you are tuned. Your instrument is ready to be played. You can internalize the cue. And now you have the self independence. That is the only way you can be a lifelong learner. And this, at WEC Method, that's what we do. You are on the path to independence. We're going to get the ropes in under your belt. And the thing about ropes, I was thinking about this earlier today. How do we get the strong guys to take interest in the ropes? You know, uh, you know the, they're so strong and big that that's not fun. And then it's the rope is light, and so they're not getting good sensitivity. I mean, I was thinking, what do we maybe put some wrist weights on them, little sand wrist <laughs> weights, a little heavier rope? And then have them just do the do just do the dragon roll, right? Well, I don't even care if you're all big and you bench press a million and you can't even button your shirt. Well, then I don't care if you even do this in the beginning. What I want you to feel is I want you to feel that boom, that dragon, that turn, and that internal torsion rotating to external torsion. People mm. don't recognize that this sort of boom, that that power right there, so that. I don't know if I got cut off. You guys sort of froze. Yeah, Will, Will, Will what, what so, stood out to you there? You talking about internal external torsion. That yes. exists pretty pretty easily to be able to witness. But where is that in the research? That is still science because it's mechanics. It's engineering. It's external external torsion. You're, you're, you can see well, the torque. And, you can and, work with the torque. So and the there's no the research, but it's a scientific principle. So and, and see, here's what it is. I know martial science and martial science is ridiculed by the, you know, this PhD scientist. But I'll kick your ass if you want to come <laughs> fight me, right? So that's martial science. Martial science is understanding fundamental principles. And one of them is move without moving. So what this internal and external torsion does for me is it redistributes the manner in which I can suspend my head, the potential of where my body's going to go without changing my center of mass. So I can be perched on one and I can go to the other. Then I can drop whenever I want to drop. So, and, and the reflex, what makes you fast and agile is your ability to drop and lift your legs so that you're not jumping. You're just being, 
You, it's a reflex so, that you so, were able to drop your center and then get uh, get under it and go. Right, which is which is like these are for us as as people who move. These make sense, right? Now, from a scientific perspective, what are the variables that you're going to test to demonstrate that? Right, I'm going to say think, anything. Shuffling a deck of cards. If you roll but, the rope, you're going to mm, get that global harmony. You do everything better. That's my hypothesis. But but then like but like Will for example like when you're looking at the variables that they're testing like in the improvements like you know th something like hypertrophy is really easy to to measure because you're just you know measuring circumference of of certain muscle groups or you're just you know strength is easy because it's usually a strength specific task like what are the improvements in movement that you would be measuring to to like how would how would you uh, define the variables of movement fluidity or efficiency of force transfer or things like the, the things that we are primarily concerned with as in terms of economy of movement how would you define that in in the context of a scientific study back to my original hypothesis that the language isn't there it's a new paradigm that's why like at the end of the paradigm thomas kuhn scientific revolution structure of scientific revolution says at the end of a paradigm what they're going to do what the scientists do is they put the new information and try to put it in their old models okay mm. where i mm. saw pat davidson was talking about spirals so i put a video of spirals up and i'm like there's the spirals with nice fluid movement i'm doing head over foot here as i'm doing the spirals right thank you for that sensei david Weck, right um so that is almost like a marriage of the models of the collapsing galaxy theory of movement. It's like, what is a galaxy? What's, what's the galaxy theory of movement? He's, he's saying basically that like the structure, the proximal structures, if you see someone who's not moving fluidly, the, uh, the distal structures will be closer to the proximal where someone who's fluid can have the proximal structures farther away, but he doesn't recognize spirals. He doesn't know how to flow the energy in the circular figure eight patterns, which they'll be like, figure eight, that's crazy. You're crazy. Well, I can show you it in two seconds, right? right. So it's not crazy. Right. So, but the paradigm just isn't there. They can't study it because they're like, where is it in the research? It's not there. Well, and also, you... and also it, it's a counterintuitive nature that if we are to freeze frame that 3D motion capture from SMU and we freeze frame when the, you know, when the, when the runner, the model of the runner is landing on the right foot I mean, if I'm a biomechanist and I'm just used to looking at, you know, pictures hung straight and doorways straight, I'm going to look at that and say, oh, man, the structure's all kinked over and like, oh, wow, you're, you're leaking power. That's not good for your back. I mean, but it's a counterintuitive understanding because the doing and the feeling is the actual knowing. And so when you put your body in that position, you're like, oh, my gosh, this is remarkably easy. Like, this is truly remarkably easy. And staircase okay everybody march up the stairs head in the middle and be sharp and precise videotape yourself and don't let yourself move with the head over the foot now intentionally position your head over your foot up the stairs so what happens is someone like a pat davidson right and i'm not i'm not i'm not I like really his stuff <laughs> I'm, yeah a lot of people like a lot of his stuff but my my first introduction to him okay i didn't know who he was I saw a video where he was talking about like bad movement and he was saying like, you know, uh, chimpanzees don't move well because their head is moving, you know, side to side and, and you know, you want to move straight. And it's just like, I made, I was being a jerk back then. So I made some comment, but it's, 
it's this, he's standing in front of a room of 18 people, let's say, okay? They are there, they're mesmerized by the message that, you know, they paid a lot of money, they flew over there, they want to get their money's worth, they're paying attention, they're thinking about it. As far as they know, they're learning correct information. So it's, okay, there's another layer of reinforcement that disincentivizes me to look for more because I already know the answer. You see what I mean? And I learned it from an authority. And it's new leadership now. It's very interesting because I don't even think Pat Davidson would be considered research-based to like the hardcore research-based guys. I think they make fun of guys like Pat Davidson, Bill Hartman for, I, I think those guys go into more pressure. Like, like they, bro they science? Of, no, no, no. It's not like that. It's like the pressures of the body as you move. So it's almost like they have, they're like, okay, the pressure moves from right to left. It's like, yeah, does it coil? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, yes, does it, it spiral? Does. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, exactly. Does it spiral? Does it coil? He called it an arc, which is a, you know, Pat Davidson called it an arc, which is, oh, okay. You're getting Well, closer. and also I'm, I must, closer. I must point this out because, you know, my ego still matters to me. I'm sorry to say. I've been saying this, I, as far as I know, I'm the first to hold my hand up and say, hey guys, you know, coil, head over foot, spinal engine, like it actually is that. And now, and I think it's a good thing, but I do want to point it out. If somebody else starts to say the same thing, right? Oh, when we were talking anti-rotation, we didn't mean that there's no movement, right? Mm -hmm. We were, yes, we were, you know, we were arcing just a little. You see what I'm saying? Like, this is now a way in which that they can sort of take their ego off the plank, you know what I mean? And not jump off the plank, but sort of walk, walk it back. And now this is that ridicule, reject, obvious all along, of course, of course. And I wanna get to that place and get beyond my own personal shortcomings of being egoistic in this thing and having animosity toward others, which I do. I mean, I wanna, I want to get rid of all that in my life. But the thing is, I can't get rid of it until the change happens. You see what I mean? Like if the irritant is still there, mm. I, I'm going to be irritated. And we are so close to getting to consensus because this is the positive peer pressure that I've been alluding to. We've been discussing that when we're talking about like, okay, this is not politics and you don't have a press corps who say, oh, I'm not going to answer your but, question. But you it is politics, right? And, and this is this No, is but the they got to answer is, the questions. Is... They got to <laughs> answer the questions because of social media, because enough trainers out there will be like, wait a minute. Wait, why aren't you answering that question? I paid good money to learn from you. Well, and, and you know now, I mean? now here's 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 an example of how a scientist could basically take a, re, a movement reality like head over foot and be like, okay, well, we're going to try and fit this in our own model. So there are lateral forces that happen when you run, and we do need a stable core because in order to resist those lateral forces and those rotational forces and recoil, we need this stable mm -hmm. core. So the more we're training this Pavlov press – then when we have that rotational force, well, then we'll recoil to the other foot. And it's a, it's a, the, our stable core training is, is what's making head over foot efficient in the first place. They're going to try and reverse engineer it. Well, okay. But you model. see, again, all, again, the, Will said it and it, and, and it needed to be said and it really crystallized it to what it is. This is a new paradigm. So mm. we don't have to frame things in any of the old way. It, it, this is a new paradigm. And because you're not voted into office officially, 
where the Congress and the Senate in the U.S., I mean, the average age is like 75 years old or something like that. And they're voted in there and they stay there forever. This is the consumer's going to vote with their pocketbook. And right now, the money in sports performance is mainly made by, you know, the suburban facility that services the kids, right? The kids, the parents work out during the day and then the kids come in after school the pro athletes that are the excitement pull, they're in season more than half the season. They're not, you're not making your money from them. So it's, if you want to maintain relevancy, as soon as this sort of, you know, the hip to the scam, like people understand, like, why isn't my child propulsing? Like, why isn't my child doing the ropes? Like, why isn't my child running head over? Why are you teaching my child to put himself into neutral no man's land where he can't move now <laughs> he can go up and down that's all he can do why are you making him strong in the position we want to pass through as opposed to stay mm. right any martial artist knows like flat space you better have a good reason you better have a good reason and, and that's one of the areas that uh science does not really touch is martial arts well, like because, they're, be they're getting in with strength and conditioning but like uh, results rule you know but, but the, yes and, yeah but but yeah, but will again again here's what it is it's yin and yang fight and flight and flight is objective and fight is always subjective you can never say that that this is definitively scientifically superior because sugar ray robinson well, and, but what if i took uh, get this what if i took 20 people and i got 10 people or 20 people or sorry 10 people to punch right and then 10 people to kick and then if you yeah, know the kicks, okay. I'm, I'm joking. I'm, I'm literally joking because okay. uh, you can't do it because the next set of like, you know, MMA math, how yeah, it never yeah, right. works out. Right. Like yeah, right, I, right. I'm joking. I'm saying that, you know, science would try to take the variables and take one variable, like a punch and be like, okay. Well, what you, uh, I mean, what, what you could measure is because it is a force output is you come in day one, punch it now on week 12, punch it. Right. But yes. that wouldn't, that would, but that's not a fight. That's like a, no, no, a variable. Of, of strength, right? right? Which is That's where everyone wants to go, right? Like the force yeah. production is the sexy part of everything in turn, like, especially with uh, sports, it's everything's framed right now with running and, and all that with force production, force yeah. velocity is really the hot thing. Right. And, and I mentioned this on a podcast and I got straw man saying, Oh, actually, um, well, I said that most, uh, uh, what's it called? Sprinting assessments are done side view. Which is absolutely almost true, all of right? them. That's how you find yeah. out who wins the race, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but but I, and I mean, timing, and and the, even getting an accurate start and stop, yeah. you hang got to be on the but, side. But it was it was it was the, the the idea that locomotive research and gait analysis is done from a side view. And you got straw man. What did what did he say? He was like, actually, he said that uh, actually, uh, no, that's not true. And and I said that the force velocity thing that most of the locomotion is force velocity actually, no, it's done with balance. Like you were saying earlier, take you a lab and it's balanced for elderly people and people with Parkinson's. That's how they study it. So that's what most locomotion is actually studying. Uh, that's a, a red herring really, because yeah. when yeah. we're talking about it's a red herring. So when we're talking about running and, and movement and biomechanics, they're going from the side. They're not looking at the front. That's why the SMU Motor Lab missed the head over foot because they're yes. not looking for it. You're not looking there, for it. I, like, listen, I was an athlete all my life and I was never, ever instructed to move my head. Okay. It was the always the opposite. Keep your head nice and still, 
right? It was always hold two potato chips in your hand so you're not tight in the hands and let your facial muscles do that, right? And just keep yourself perfectly still. That, I mean, that's just tried and true, right? That's, that's how it was coached. Let's be careful with this one because this is an easy straw man because oh, I can just, I can, I can take a hundred meter runner as though like it bothers me a lot because I, I love watching it and you get so much from it, but you can just see anything there because it's yes. really force production that rules that. And that's why you yes. study it because it's hundred meters, the pinnacle of Olympics. And they want to extrapolate that into all movement and rehab and, you know, uh, how, things should be done from a hundred meter. Let's, let's get away from that. In my personal opinion, just because of that, those facts, right? Well, Will, I, I must say that I appreciate you and your background and your capacity and your passion so much because you have the capacity to navigate this and see it through the treacherous waters of the conventional. You see, I would get hung up on straw mans, lose my temper, and then rah, 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 and we're back to square one. But what you're doing is you're saying, oh, not so fast. I know both of these worlds intimately, mm -hmm. and I am here to help humanity. This exactly. is the, ultimately what we're doing is we want to provide the best possible knowledge so that everybody's got a better, the, the, rise the whole tide for everyone and physical it's the, it's the most practical, it's the cheapest, and it's the one that we can actually do because we so, are so far off and it's so simple to walk incorrectly or poorly, and it's so simple to walk well. I mean, it literally is your, your knowledge, that's it. <laughs> So I, I want to bring I want to I want to bring something up. This idea that you know when you were talking about the 3D model and the the side view analysis, they missed the head over foot because they're looking at it and they're not looking for head over foot. And this kind of goes back to something that you were talking about earlier, where it's like we start from this pool of data and this, this pool of research, and then you extrapolate your questions based on the research that you've read. And so you're de you're deriving the questions and you're deriving the variables that you want to look for based on previous data from previous science versus the approach that I think, and this is, I've been trying to figure out, it's like, where, where's the dichotomy of thinking or where's the difference in thinking? I think the difference in thinking is it, through experience and through movement experience, you might experience something that you don't have an explanation for. And you might have an observation because you're obsessed with movement and you're obsessed with movement economy and you're obsessed with becoming better. You might observe something that you don't have necessarily an explanation for, or you don't have a prescription on how to improve it. So you would ask a question that is different than the questions that are, are being made by people who are deriving research based on research. You know, it's, yep. it's like you're, you're basically, you're creating extrapolations of, of data that you've previously read and biomechanical understanding from a, like an academic standpoint versus when you have an experiential passion for, for movement and for training people, you're not just, you know, experientially yourself, but you're spending all your time observing the, the behaviors of your clients. You're going to derive different questions than are being asked by the science and i say you know the science in, in quotation marks is in like the consensus the the research based on research based on research based on research the 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 narrative that forms over scientific consensus that might not be asking the same questions as a movement artist would so that's that's sort of the you know like will i i don't know if that's a good summation of kind of what what you've been noticing and because 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 my question is you know like if if you're evidence-based and you're closed off to other information my question that i was going to ask earlier in this episode is 
what do you think they're missing perspective wise? And what do you think are other good inputs of data to help derive a, a deeper sense of truth? So, so your question uh, assumes that uh, I think that the current paradigm is sufficient. And I don't, I don't think that they can uh, take the art of how to move and put it into a study. Uh, you know what I mean? Like they, they don't have the language for it. They don't even have the language for, you know, right. Head over the, foot. So, so the question, engine. none of that's so, there. So, uh, three planes of motion versus 3d movement. It's just, it, it's not there in description. It can't be there because the pool of knowledge doesn't have it yet. And that's so how, all that they draw upon. So, and, and the, so my question is like where studies are not reliable for that because it's operating on a different paradigm. It's operating from a different like set of language. What are other inputs of data that will help you derive truth experience, um, you know, observation, like what are the, what are the things that you think will factor into helping people derive a deeper understanding? Um, I, I think actually going back to the scientific method, the scientific method is uh, like, let's say David's movement, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to derive that. You're not going to see how he does it by getting the current research. I would have to go back and be like, okay, what is the actual scientific method here? The scientific method is forming a hypothesis. And again, we went over, you have to have a pool of knowledge to even form the hypothesis and the theory in the first place. Then you go to, uh, you know, observation. Uh, what is it? Um, help me out here. My mind's drawing a blank. We're going from observation to uh, actually doing the experiment, right? Yeah, like, testing. Testing. Mm. Okay, so basically, it's like you observe, you formulate a theory, you test. Okay, where's where's drawing the pool of knowledge in any of that? So a lot of these guys that are science based aren't even doing any science. They're just looking at the pool of current knowledge, and that's where they stop. Where I would go, let's observe David. Let's put him in slow mo. Let's try to copy the movements. Let's ask him what he's doing if he's available. You know what I mean? Let's mm. let's uh, well, actually see, try to find the truth here in movement versus just going to a study, right? Two, so two, yeah, right. Two, two, yeah. Two, um, two things. First one: How can we help the existing structure paradigm community? How can we help so it's not a burn the whole thing down scenario and it's the fastest, most expeditious path forward to progress where we can all just, we can all remain our own individuals with our own opinions, but we will we'll all be on a similar foundation where we're not getting like people, we, we don't have to ask that question anymore because we come to the consensus as good sports in, in the contest of ideas. You know, the, the biomechanical reality of this spiral continuity movement, it's just, it is what it is. And the fact that we now have it, every picture or video of a human being actually doing it is always anecdotal and it's never scientific. Okay. Mm. Like, so you'll never win the science. Server. But as soon as you put the 3D map on the guy and now you see the model doing it, well, now we're talking that's scientific. So that, that I, I was. Sorry, I, yeah. I want to I want to just throw something in because we were talking about the scientific method. So I you know I Googled it to see what it is, and 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 in a lot of uh, modern definitions of the scientific method, they actually added a step, which is after your original observation and your question, 
you research the topic area. So you actually you put research and reading the, the current understanding as a prerequisite to forming a hypothesis, because if you don't have the research behind forming a hypothesis, then you can't test your hypothesis with an experiment. So I like the old method. <laughs> you, make, <laughs> you make an observation, you ask a question, you form a hypothesis and you test it and you analyze the data, you report the conclusion. You don't That's, have to add research topic area in there to derive it, information. Well, there, it's all done within the system. Like most studies are done within the university system. Some are done publicly or privately, but most are done within the university system. So that's how it has to be done, right? Like, yeah, um, I, I don't really care for that one. That's brand new. It's very new within the terms of, you know, within the scientific uh, timeline. We're talking right at the end. Okay. They just added that in. That's, you know, well known or not well known, but it should be that that step was added in very, very recently. Okay. And that step will ensure that the new paradigm does not come through. So that step needs to go. Ah, See ya. Yeah. There See you ya. go. Because you're right? back in the same bucket. Well, exactly. the other the, the other thing, so I do want to get back to how can we constructively, you know, create the foundation forward. So, and or if not get to any kind of conclusion, at least put that in the, and you know, sort of in the thinking cap to gestate and formulate like, okay, what is the plan here? Right? How, how can we fast teach human beings how to take better care of themselves? Right? Mm -hmm. Walking stronger with balance. It, 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 what? I mean, if we, it's, it's so profound and that's what gets me so giddy and excited about it. And the other thing that I wanted to share was, you know, like if somebody's blind, then there's the synesthesia. So maybe they can harness that capacity to now create an auditory capacity to echolocate. You know what I mean? In the same sense that like in the, I'm a biomechanist. That's, I mean, I'm an inventor, I'm a biomechanist. That's really what I am. So if, how do I say this? Um, mm, I lost my train of thought. Um, refresh me, Will. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was a little bit lost sorry. there as well. Okay. This, the, I, I, what I did, the synesthesia, what it is, is basically what I wanted to say is if you stay within one realm or discipline or funnel, you know, category, you may miss the things that you could have gleaned from another science or another yes. subject. Yes. So sorry, I got all taken about and that's that's a very good point because that brings it back to why only the research why not scientific principles why not the said principle right like i think the said principle trumps scientific research you know what i mean like in terms of, i shouldn't say all scientific research i'm saying that like if i'm using the said principle okay uh specific adaptations to impose demands that is a principle of science right like that is yes something that you know is broadly accepted across many domains. Okay. Um, yes. so why, where is that in the actual research? Do you know what I mean? Like I can, I can say you're specifically adapting to a movement as a behavior. Okay. Because that makes sense in terms of science. I move a certain way and I adapt in a behavior. Okay. So like right now I'm sitting on my knees and, and my feet. Um, instead of sitting on my ass and that's a behavior change. Right. And I had to, I had to drill it into my body. I specifically, and now adapting to this scenario, right. Both in my behavior and the cellular level. Right. So 
where's this where's the study that i have to get for that you know what i mean like why yeah, not right, work on right. principles and that's i see this whole like niche working a lot on mechanics not so much biomechanics because that word has been uh i, I shouldn't say hijack because they had it in the first place is it's a biomechanical <laughs> research field okay is biomechanics to everybody where this is more movement and actual real life martial application of movement it's got to be better it goes right so and that's the difference one's an art and one is a strict science that just draws upon one field of information okay and that'll like i don't see how that coincides the way that you want to friendly going forward without a a little bit of give in the research-based world to bring in new ideas okay like yes, how are yes, you how are you going to do that how are you going to do that when you can only draw upon your own model well okay i i anyway i i just want to put it out there because i don't want my objective is not to burn it down my objective is to make it better and so i mean this may just be a case of eat some crow admit that you were off the track get on board and, and now make yourself better right? It's the said principle is really interesting because so many trainers sort of use it and abuse it and don't fully understand it. So it, the stimulus doesn't need to be specific to the, to the task at hand. You're, you're this, it has to be specific to the adaptation that I want to get. So I might do something in a swimming pool to get you to do better hang gliding. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> It, yeah, so that's, that's another thing. Go ahead. The uh, specific adaptations to impose demand is actually internal. You're internally adapting. You don't externally adapt. Well, but so, you, look, you do, you do externally you adapt. I should say you do, but the actual adaptation happens from within and you yeah. can express the external. However, yes. the adaptations happen from within. I should clarify. Oh, yeah. No, I, I would agree with that 100%. And that, yeah, I mean, that, that the interaction with the modality or the process or method creates some change in adaptation to the body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So basically what a, like a example would be if I'm barbell back squatting, let's say, right. Mm -hmm. I'm internally adapting to the demands and, and I'm able to lift more weight. So there's the external factor, yes. but I'm actually adapting cellularly inside and Correct. nervous system wise and, and all the Correct. things that come with it. Yeah. Correct. And, and what, what we like to do here now, especially, and it really Chris Chamberlain, it's, it's principally his uh, influence following the both sides utilized theory or, you know, prescription philosophy is basically we do squats, but we do them in many different forms and we will avoid other forms. And so a Zercher squat is one of our favorites because it gives us that internal torsion that we can really be super strong and good, good range of motion. But when we're doing like an external torsion, for example, on the sole steps uphill, for example, we are staying in external torsion and our range of motion is much smaller as a result of that. And we are for that specific set training that quality and maintaining the integrity of that quality as a segment to a more complete and expressed motion, which may pass through, you know, sort of the, the internal external type of torsion in a, in a reality. But the main point in what I'm saying here is people 
are so polarized that, oh, a barbell back squat? Never. Like, and then, oh, you know, oh, you have to do it on one leg, you know. And then other people swear by it, right? And, and, and people do get good results with it. If you have a football team, it's not a bad exercise to have in the program, right? I mean, so the, I think what we need to do is we need to encourage the capacity to understand the shades of gray, as it were, and the nuance and not the gotcha polarized, oh, it's either this or it's that, right? Yeah. So, and, and, and like for a great example is bench pressing on a BOSU ball with dumbbells. Like it's a great way to build strength and take care of your shoulders, right? And now people are finding that. And it's, you know, so it was once called by, you know, a lot of the scientific community, oh, that's a circus toy because it's unstable. And now it's like, wait a minute, this is strength training accessory. So could you talk about that since this is the science episode where you were, um, what happened with the BOSU ball and, and that whole fiasco? Oh. Um, could you talk specifically about the science that debunked the BOSU ball? Oh, yeah. Okay. So there was the pivotal study. It was, was you know, the effects of unstable surface training on, you know, athletic something, right? And it was Cressy at all. And I think highly of Eric Cressy. Okay. So this, anybody listening out there, this is not a, a hack job or a hack it, you know, hatchet job on him, but he conducted a study and I think they used Dynadiscs, which are, you know, basically uh, rubber cushions or pillows that have no stability. And what people don't understand is that a BOSU ball is a balance of stable and unstable. When the platform is down, the thing is stable and I can load it with many times body weight, super dynamic, and it's not going anywhere. But there's a, you know, a perturbation constantly that's, you can't stand perfectly still. There's always gonna be some little writing and adjusting and your job is to get that nuanced and it just clicked, oh, perfect. The effects of telling them. Yeah, that's what it is right there. So what Very happened methods, was- methods. Yeah, we go straight was, to the method section. Yeah, oh, there you go. So they're doing like certain exercises and it was a very small percentage of the training that the, you know, that the, not the control group, but that the test group did. So they only did like 3% of their training or less engaged in this unstable training. And then they tested and that group got like statistically slower or made less gains. Whereas, you know, the stable group made more gains across these different tests. And the, uh, the really unfortunate thing is that the BOSU ball got sort of like connected to this study and Cressy himself apparently didn't want that to happen, but you know, he was at the sort of the, you know, the, he can't control what T nation, publishes it in their, you know, clickbait title, right? Mm. So what happened was people read the headline and the headline was, you know, Bosu ball, the good, the bad, and the ugly. That was the teen nation article. And we got, we actually got it taken down legally. We said, oh, really? listen, this is, I said, this is, you know, it's, it's slandering the, the Bosu ball because the study that you're sharing about didn't even use the Bosu ball. And he agreed to take it down. But again, the bell was rung, you know, a lot of people heard it and that's still where they're resonating is that, that uh, you know, mis misunderstanding that it's a tool. 
So and I, I just want to go over the actual methods section real quick. So they had um, they had 19 members of the National Collegiate Athletic Association Division One men's soccer team, age 18 to 23 years. And the tests that they did was the, their pretest was they did a bounce drop jump, a counter movement jump, a 40 yard sprint test, and a T test, which is um, it's an agility test. And the training that they did for six months were uh, four sets of two speed deadlifts at one a 55% one rep max, three sets of five barbell deadlifts, dynamic dumbbell lunges, uh, so three sets of eight right and left, low incline barbell press, one arm bent over dumbbell row, side bridges. And the only movement that was stable versus unstable was the dumbbell lunge. Right. So they were they were only testing the difference of one exercise on a Dyna disc, which is like an unstable like disc on both sides. Like you said, it's not it's not a BOSU ball. It's the it's a disc that has like it's it's rounded on both ends. And so it was six months of training and they only had one uh, between pre and post testing. All subjects completed their normal spring strength and conditioning program, but the U.S. group performed the UST intervention over on one of the exercises in each resistance training session over the course of the intervention. It lasted 10 weeks and comprised 27, section, uh, 27 sessions. The intervention occurred during the off-season. Now, just, just with that bit of information alone, do you think that you know while you're still doing uh, deadlifts and you know, low incline barbell presses and one arm bent over rows. The only variable that you're testing is if you're doing your, you know, dumbbell lunges on a Dyna disc. Is that enough to give you good data on what the effects of unstable lower body training are on, on athletic performance? I, well, I that, that, let me just say that when you do that type of training, so you're controlling the chaos because it's, you know, you can't load into that full for fear that it's going to slip out from under you, you know, twist your ankle. So you would never jump on a Dyna disc because you'd literally snap your ankle or the potential is there to do that very, you know, very likely that you're going to get hurt. So what happens is if you're only exposed to that controlling chaos for, you know, whatever, four sets of three or whatever the hell it was, you're 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 glitchy and you're hesitant and you never learn how to you know sort of deal with that feedback and bring the nervous system back down to a sense of like oh, okay i understand where i am there you're sort of in this frantic kind of a thing and so and what they concluded in this study was just how deleterious unstable surface training is because the stimulus was so small, it was like, literally, I'm going to put a little bit of Iocane powder into your meal and, and woo, now you, if you don't have the antidote, you're not there. So that was the conclusion from the study. But since I know movement and I know movement training, if you put yourself into a super unstable scenario and you don't give yourself enough time to sort of, well, well, let me hold on to something and find the balance here. And let me reduce this thing to more of a skill set where now I can actually get something from the exercise because it's not just all about this chaotic hitchiness, which is apprehensive and it is slow. 
David, I don't, I don't even think you have to go that far with it. They didn't test anything with the Bosu ball. No, <laughs> like, exactly. Like yeah. they didn't. No, and, right. and it's, it's ten players in one group and nine players in the other group, and a lot of different variables. I don't know how you test that many variables and just take the unstable surface one and say that did it right there, right? Like. Well, well, that was because the there's only more than two thing. variables and, well, and was, only two groups of 10 and nine. And, and has this been replicated since? Well, listen, we're dealing with exercise. This is a subject that most of the smartest IQs in the world don't really care about. <laughs> they hire a trainer. And this is, you know, this, this was in the context of the industry had swung such a pendulum to the unstable surface training because, you know, trainers started doing it, you know, an hour and a half of only that, you know what I mean? We're going to go an extra 30 minutes and do more on the ball. And it was the stability ball that was really the main culprit in this unstable phase or craze. Mm. And so what happens is there's profit and prophecy. And if you're a thought leader, and you can get out in front of where the pendulum is and where it's going to be. If you're sort of, you know, in the vanguard of the correction, that's where anti-rotation and brace your core stiff and neutral came in. And it stemmed from McGill because McGill was the spine expert. And he was the one that was saying it's non-negotiable. You have to brace your spine. If your spine bends, you, you don't run as fast. You sacrifice limb speed because in his model, he studies the weightlifting where the, you know, the, ball and, the ball and socket joints of the hips are really what's doing the movement, whereas the core is braced solid to maintain that load on your back. So it was literally that just those circumstances and events as they arranged themselves led to this propagation of oh well unstable surface training makes you weaker because once you hear it and once you say it well now it's it's being heard said and heard everywhere within the industry in the circles and I no one it. wants no one That's wants cool. to be and no one wants to be ostracized as the odd man out right no mm -hmm. one wants to take the risk they did a scientific well they've done scientific experimentation where they bring the test subject into a room with five others and they say, which line is the longest? And, you know, the test subject goes, that line's the longest. And everybody else says, no, the other one's the longest. And the guy's just like, what? <laughs> and then you go through that like four or five rounds. What ends up happening is the, the, the pressure that he starts saying the same line as the other people. So he is now... Just ignore, he's blinded to reality. So I don't even think he's ignoring reality. It's almost not his fault. And so I, I, he is being blinded to reality by the social. Well, I just, I, so I want to, I want to take this as a great example of how narratives can start to form, right? Because Eric Cressy took this study where there was a variable, one variable that he tested, which was lunges on an unstable surface with a group of, like you said, a group of 10 and a group of nine people. And the primary findings were that over 10 weeks, that unstable surface training attenuated improvements in athletic performance, basically in a, in a nutshell. And that turned into testosterone nation, which I used to read religiously when I was a young lifter, you know, like when I was a young <laughs> kid trying to get jacked that I would read T nation yep. Yep. relentlessly. 
And you have these well-to-do coaches and, uh, and a circle and a certain community that if you take yourself seriously, you're going to follow a, a particular narrative. And if you go against it while everyone else is kind of making fun of it, it's schoolyard, you know, bullying. And this is, this is an example, uh, you know, Will, this was supposed to be a 30,000 foot view of, of what, what our, our upcoming series on science and, and, and inquiry into movement and biomechanics is going to cover. And I think we did cover a lot of ground today. Uh, the big takeaway is that there are narratives that form, that there are limitations to the way that scientific studies can kind of derive information from movement because it's operating from a particular paradigm. And I think we explored really well how some of these paradigms are formed and how they can get stuck in these mind traps of, well, this is the way it is because you have this data and the data could actually be shit. It could be actually very piss poor, lacking and irrelevant to the things that, that, that end up being extrapolated by down the line. Right. And we, David, this is the, the perfect example of Bosu ball being shit on for years and misinterpreted and taken out of context because of one of Eric Cressy's studies this is a perfect example of this happening. Now, when you're looking at complex movement realities, the variables that you actually have to test are so immense and have to be uh, looked at from a different paradigm which are not being looked at right now because a lot of the research is based on other extrapolations of current research. And if you're building your model based on a current model while not looking at the possibilities outside of your own model, you're not going to experience uh, a progression of thought. So Will, as we're uh, you know continuing on these series, what are some other things that people can kind of expect to learn from us? What are some of the, the topics that we're going to dive into in future episodes just well, so that people get a sneak preview? Well, we do have to figure this out. We do have to solve the problem, right? So we're going to dive into what I believe the problem is, and that's the underlying philosophy and the lack thereof. Uh, currently, um, looking at the how the science is formed and the thought processes that precede uh, scientific rigor in the current age, right? So um, I've read a lot of Hume, a lot of uh, Thomas Kuhn. There's a brilliant, brilliant current philosopher named Rana Ar Lil Arjen from, Ar from Norway. I'm trying to get her on the show. She's on vacation right now, but she's a philosopher. I would suggest looking at her work. It is fantastic. And it is literally a layout of how to solve all this. Okay. And to make research-based science open up their doors a little bit and to understand that you're looking at a human being, not just a number and not just a statistic. There is multiple variables here. And with RCTs currently, it is goes single variable to single variable. Okay. And that's how to actually test. That's how to make it a hundred percent. If you had the perfect data set and two uh, variables and you can hypothetically test them, then that would be perfect. However, that's not ever how real life works. And that's not ever the person in front of you. So we need a more holistic, I know they hate that word, a more holistic view of how uh, movement works. Currently, it's a very dualist approach. How, how I work as a, as a Cairo, somebody comes into me with pain, you fix pain. Okay. That's not all what I do, but that's the current approach for, you know, physios, anyone, you come in with a problem and, and the, the person expects this too, the client, the patient, right? So it's very like, you have a problem with your part. I'm going to fix your part, your pain gone. You leave. I'm paid. Right? So let's switch that to, there's a human being in front of me, multiple variables. And, uh, let's have a human to human interaction, which is the art of it. And that is thrown 
out the window right now because art and science do not coincide because of all the things we talked about today. Well, let me that that I like that a lot, Will, because I think I think and I said this to you guys, I don't know, whenever we met, that I think that this has the capacity to beat Town Square. And, you know, I think that you're you're on the right approach with this. And I think there's one tangible thing that I think could really help not burn it down, but, you know, help bridge this whole process. And that is, and that is that SMU, imagine how many athletes they put in that 3D motion capture. And then imagine that that's an application or a program that you can now view it from any vantage point you want. So think of the treasure trove of data that needs to be reanalyzed because now let's say they did a hundred runners. Okay. Mm. And maybe you could categorize them as little old ladies, uh, you know, weekend warriors and elite athletes. So you got 33 of each or whatever, right? You could literally go into that program and just set it up square ahead, count the number of steps and then measure with a vertical line, some, you know, area defined on the head to the area defined on the foot and just get a measure of the different people and the ratio of precision to head over foot and not. And some people will be more in the middle. Some people will have one side and not the other side. And now you have a departure point where you're not coming to any conclusions so much as you're getting the true, what are human beings in our laboratory in this 3D motion, what are they doing? And we can analyze it from the front where we have a complete, you know, different perspective that removes the optical illusion of stillness. When you look at it from the side, God's honest, it looks still. And it's incredible, the amount of movement. It, how can I not be perceiving that? Like, how and the, can I not well, see and, and that? The, and the reason that they aren't is because, again, we're talking about when you're operating from a particular paradigm, you don't look for those particular yeah, variables, you're, you're right? And so, for it. so the, the I, I think, People kind of get a good, I think this this episode was good to get that 30,000 foot view of where we're coming from and why we want to investigate this. We see a limitation with a model of thinking and a model of investigating truth. And we want to we want to try to derive a better way to get closer to the truth because that's ultimately what we're, what we're aiming for in this podcast. How can we implement language from a new paradigm into an old narrative? How can we use very reliable methods of testing data to test new types of data and ask better questions? How can we use experience and the art side and the multivariable human element of movement to form better questions to test with the scientific method? That is, you know, for me, that's kind of what I'm, I'm hoping to explore in this series. Absolutely. And on that note, guys, we're going to wrap this episode up today. This was an awesome conversation. I think we got a lot of ground covered. I think we really did give everyone a, kind of a, a good baseline for where we're starting to kick this series off. I'm really excited to get into some more nuance and some more detail and more specific situations. But I, I'm very, very satisfied with this as a 30,000 foot view. Ladies and gentlemen, this was episode 69 of the Art of Move podcast. We are closing in on that 100 episodes really, really fast. It's kind of crazy. Um, but thank you so much for listening, guys. If you're listening on YouTube, please like, comment, and subscribe. It really helps the algorithm. It really helps our visibility. And I also just like to hear from you. What did you like? What did you 
dislike? What did you agree with, disagree with? In general, you're adding to the conversation too. This isn't just, you know, you listening to us talk and, you know, it's not a one-sided conversation. We want to hear from you too, because that's how the perspectives expand. That's the whole point of this. Like you said, town square, right? If you're listening on Spotify or iTunes, leave us a rating and review. That also really helps. You can follow me at the body moves on Instagram. Will is at the art of move. Uh, David is at the David Weck and at Weck method. If you want to follow him and, uh, thank you so much guys for having this conversation. We got really, really deep with it. And David, thanks for hopping in and, and giving your take and telling your story too. I think really, really added value for the the kind of perspectives that we were trying to share today. Absolutely. Thank, thank you today. guys. Thank you. All right, guys. We'll catch you on the next episode. Have a good one guys.